0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: All the things that God has done, the people we put in place, the whole system of the priesthood, the Levites and all the servants, God said, I've done all this so that we can meet together. And so, you know, since you guys are out there in the wilderness fighting and complaining and bickering, just go bring those rods in here. And he just reminds them, like, bring it here to that place where I meet with you. And I wonder if for them, for some of them, they would look at this and say, wow, I haven't been here in a while. As I got to go drop this off here, I haven't been to meet with the Lord in a while.
0: Everything that God has done, He has done so that He can be in fellowship with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to hear what's in your heart, not because He doesn't already know, He does, but because He wants that intimacy with you. He cares about you that much. Pastor Bill is going to ask the question today, have you met with God recently? Have you come into his presence just to be with him? The God of the universe wants to know you, and he's just waiting for you to take the time. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 17, for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: All right, well, you guys that have been following along with us. Um, Numbers, we've seen kind of repeatedly, it's been an issue for the children of Israel to submit to really they're having a hard time submitting to God and his will and his plan. But the way it keeps fleshing its way out is their fight with God becomes their fight with God's leaders. And so Moses and Aaron as the men that are representing the Lord. They become the target of aim as these guys are they're upset. They don't like the things that the way that God is leading them. The Israelites didn't go into the promised land it was their fault. They wouldn't trust God. They wouldn't believe God. They wouldn't go when God said go. They sent spies out. They said the enemy in the land is too big. And they gave more credit to the enemy than they did to God. And so they wouldn't go in. Then they were upset about the outcome. They began to complain to Moses. If you remember, they tell Moses, "Is you brought us out here to die. You know, you didn't even take us into the promised land. And if you guys remember, they started lusting backwards talking about when they were in Egypt, it was a promised land. Somebody, you took us out of a land of promise to bring us to the desert. And we talked about that, how that when you're not really walking with the Lord and you can look back at, you know, when you belong to the devil, when you were enslaved and your mind can lie to you that that was better. It wasn't better. They were slaves and everything else. So in this chapter, it's a continuation of last week, they, they keep questioning the leadership of Aaron and Moses. And so it looks like as I read this chapter, God is wanting to just kind of put a stake in that coffin. Once and for all, these are the men that I have selected to lead you guys. And so God's going to show himself strong on behalf of Aaron. God's going to do there be something supernatural where God says, that you might know that this is the guy that I've selected to lead you. So look at chapter 17, the first three verses. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod. Each, um, from each father's house, all their leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods, write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi.'" For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. So God is telling them, this is what I want you guys to do. Each man, there's a leader, a representative from each of the 12 tribes. I want each leader from each tribe to get a rod. And for us in our culture, we don't use rods like they did back then. But this was very common back then. The rods were used just... It was a walking stick when you were out and about. They they lived in the wilderness. They had wild animals. We go to the zoo to see the wild animals. They lived out there where they were. So it might be your protection as you're out and about. We know that from the life of Moses, the rod was a sign of his authority. You can look all the way back and look through the life of Moses and it was a rod that he used to threw his rod down and it became a serpent when he was dealing with Pharaoh. It was the rod used to split open the Red Sea. The Many times God was say, stretch out your rod, Moses, and do thus and do so. So the rod was a symbol of his authority. And so God said, I want each guy to bring a rod. Put your name on it, as a matter of fact, and I want you to bring them all to me. And so that's the initial instruction that goes out. Look at verse 4. It says, then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony. And he says, where I meet with you. I marked that in my Bible, just reading over it over and over again. As I read through that one time, God said, I want you to take all those rods with your names on them. And I want you to bring them into the tabernacle of meeting. And I want you to put them before the testimony. And he says, where I meet with you. And as I read that, this is what I got. This is what the Lord was speaking to me as I looked at that they're fighting and warring and complaining and bickering and all these things and almost like God says come into this place remember I had you build this place remember I gave you all the instructions for you guys that were with us through those books all the detail I had you build this place because it's I want to meet with you I want to fellowship with you all the things that God has done the people he put in place the whole system of the priesthood the Levites and all the servants. God said, I've done all this so that we can meet together. And so, you know, since you guys are out there in the wilderness fighting and complaining and bickering, he says, go bring those rods in here. And he just reminds them, like, bring it here to that place where I meet with you. And I wonder if for them, for some of them, they would look at this and say, wow, I haven't been here in a while. As I got to go drop this off here, I haven't been to meet with the Lord in a while. The very thing that God wanted, you know, he said, go ahead and bring it here where, where I meet with you at. And so just in the way of application. I've covered this several times in our studies through the Old Testament, but we'll see different characters, different people that had their place where they would meet with the Lord. I encourage you guys that we would, everybody would have in your life, your places and your times where you meet with God. How do you get along with the Lord? Do you have a special place to get along with the Lord? I encourage everybody here to find some way of seclusion And I know it's difficult. I know we all got different kind of lives. I know there are parents and kids and mothers and fathers and all these different things. But it's something you want to make a pattern of your life where you steal away and meet with God. You know, my life, I love greenery. So eventually I'm going to get my backyard green so I can go back out there and meet with God. But until then, you know, I like going to places where it's all green. One of the places I found, it's weird to some people, but it's perfect, is the cemetery. Cemeteries are just green, green, green everywhere you go. There's one when I dropped my son off at school. There's the one that I used to go to when I lived in Downey. And there's a little cemetery, it's a small one, and it's quiet. Nobody's there. You know, the animals, uh, you know, a couple times somebody left chickens out there. You know, that's the most action that I've seen, you know, but it's just quiet. It's green. I park there. I can look at all the trees, I can hear birds, I crack the windows enough, I can pray out loud, I can talk to myself, you know, and nobody think I'm crazy, and I meet with God. My little car becomes a sanctuary at that time. Other times in my life, things are busy, I'm at home, my wife and my kids will tell you, I go into the bathroom. That becomes the place where I meet with the Lord, because I can shut the door and it can be quiet. Just encouraging you guys to consider in your life, do you have a special place? For you and the lord where you know right now i just need to get away with god where do you get away to how where there are times where i just go out i mean everybody's home i just go out into the driveway and sit in the car just to have some time with the lord so it's quiet you know and married couples i encourage you guys to kind of work in tandem help each other out with that Husbands got to give your wife times so wives got to give your husband especially if the schedule's all hectic You guys got to give each other time to, you know, go do a reading or go have a quiet time. But all that to say, you know, God's calling them into this place where they're supposed to meet with him. And again, I wonder if some of them have been so busy fighting and so busy battling against what God is doing that they haven't been here in a while. But he says, come into this place where where you meet with me, where I meet with you at. I challenge you to consider that in your life. Now look at verse five. It says, and it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus, I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. Two things in this verse. First, he says the thing that's going to distinguish the person that that I'm using, the thing that's going to distinguish the person that I've chosen is their rod is going to blossom. It's going to bear fruit. Now, this is it's going to have to be supernatural. Typically, for a tree to bear fruit, it's got to be planted in the ground. And it's got to have, you know, sustenance. There's got to be, you know, water and nutrients going through the roots in order for it to, you know, bear fruit. But God says, this rod, this is dead wood. This is a rod. It's disconnected. It's cut off. It's a rod. This thing's going to bear fruit. That's supernatural. God says, that's what's going to identify the person that I choose. Supernatural fruit in their life. Something that you can't fabricate, something you can't manufacture, something you can't fake. You know, these guys weren't going to be able to fake this. God said, give me all those rods. Your name is on them. And put them in here. Since all you guys, you guys remember the complaint? All the leaders came to Moses and said, how come you're telling us what to do? How come you guys are leading us? We're holy too. You know, they felt like we're just as good as you guys. How come you guys get to be the leader? And so God said, well, give me all your rods. Every tribe, send me a leader, bring a rod, put his name on it. And bring them into the tabernacle of meeting where I meet with you, and leave them there. And the way that you're going to know the person that I choose is their rod is going to bear fruit. So as I pondered that, looked at that, and I was just looking for man, what's the? Is there an application for? Is there something we can glean and grab from that? I would say this: if you're writing notes, write down John chapter 15, verse 16. I'm going to read it to you. John chapter 15, verse 16 says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. I may give it to you. So Jesus says, look, when I chose you, I chose you. You didn't choose me. And I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. And in the same way that we look in the Old Testament, we look in here and God says, the way that I'm going to establish the person that I've called the lead is there going to be supernatural fruit in their life? I'm going to do something supernatural to set them apart. I believe for us, New Testament saints that are called to lead, we're looking for supernatural fruit in our lives as well. That we would look for those that God has called to lead us. Everybody here is a leader in some way, shape or form that you'd look for that in your life. God, I, I'm looking for the supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life that I might lead people. And you'd be amazed. I, I would say this to all of us as parents. You'd be amazed at how our kids, our kids recognize where we are. We're walking with God. Our kids know it. If we're walking in the spirit, they know it. They live with us. If you're in the flesh, your kids know it. They know that they mad right now. Ooh, you know, they they got that voice or that, that face on or whatever it is that identifies the flesh. They know it. They live real close. And as we've been called to lead them, what you want to make sure is that they can see in you the supernatural fruit of God's spirit in your life. That's going to help. That's going to assist. And you're being able to lead them in the way that God would desire. And again, I believe as I look for just New Testament application in the same way that God would say here, I'm going to evidence my hand upon a life by supernatural fruit. I believe that we're to look for that in our lives. We're to look for supernatural fruit. And I want to just read through for you guys the fruit of the spirit. These things should characterize the man or the woman that is walking in the spirit. And so it's in Galatians 5, starting at verse 22. And it says, but the fruit of the spirit is, and it begins to list these characteristics, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, against such, there is no law. I would challenge everybody here that you would look at your life because this is what they were doing wrong. They were looking at Moses and Aaron and saying, they're not, we we should be able to do it too. And instead of looking at themselves, instead of looking in the mirror, instead of saying, God, you know, is there something about me that you haven't raised me up? They're just trying to kind of bully their way into a place. And God says, no, you got to be holy to be here. I'm the one that raises up and sets down. I'm the one that I pick my own leaders. Um, You can't just make it your way. Now, we live in a culture right now where in the day and time in which we live right now, if something looks like this looks powerful, this looks like a desired role, people pursue it. They go after it. Rather, God has called them out. I believe that all over the world, there are people in spiritual leadership capacities that don't evidence God's fruit in their life. They don't evidence it. And that's why things are such a wreck. That's why the testimony of the church is so poor in the world is people have gone after it and attained it and they're there but they're not walking with God there's no evidence of his power upon their life in their in their behavior in their lifestyle so forth and so on so I challenge all of us to consider our lives as individuals that we would consider our lives God are these fruits evident am I I full of the spirit or not am I filled with God's spirit or you go backwards, I, that's not my study tonight, but you can go backwards in Galatians 5, just go before 22, go start at 16, and look at the works of the flesh. Which one of those characterizes you? This is a self-evaluation. Does it in any way hinder you from being able to lead those that you'd like to have follow you? I think everybody here has people that we'd like to have follow our lead. We want to be these kind of people. We want to be people that there's the, the supernatural fruit of God's spirit upon our lives. And so back to verse 5, God said, this is what I'll do to identify and set apart the person who I choose, the person I've chosen to do it. The second part of verse five, he says, I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against me. Now, the fact that God says here, I'm going to rid myself of their complaints. God, I'm sick of it. I don't want to hear it no more. I don't want to hear that. I'm going to rid myself of their complaints. So I got to talk about complaining. We talked about complaining once before. I think we did a whole thing on it. And so. Here it is again, so I'm just gonna give a Reader's Digest, but I'm gonna give you some verses. You know, whenever God says things over and over and over again, probably because we need to hear it over and over and over again. First thing I would ask you is, everybody here, think about the last thing you complained about, last complaint. You don't have to raise your hand and shout it out, but what's the last thing you complained about? Now, you can complain within yourself, you can complain out loud, you can complain on the phone with your friends, all such complaining, God hears. God hears the murmuring in your heart. God hears when you go ahead and let loose and let it out your mouth. God knows when you direct it at somebody. All such complaining, all is naked and visible and open to the Lord. So, if you're writing notes, it's got five verses. I want you to write them down. We first talked about this in detail, if you remember, in Numbers 11. So, write down Numbers 11 verses one through four. And this is what we saw in Numbers 11 one through four. This is when we really went in on complaining. First of all, it said that it displeased the Lord. As they complained and they murmured, God didn't like it. It displeased the Lord. Second, it says that he heard it. So we know that complaining displeases him. Uh, We know that we can't do it without him hearing it. He heard it. Third, it made him angry. So not only just displease him, it's not, God's not, passively, it just doesn't make him happy. But then actively, God says, it makes me angry. It angered the Lord that they were complaining. And the problem with the complaints were that when God's kids complain, who are they complaining against? God. Right. When I complain about my status in life or my state in life, I'm always complaining against God. I'm really saying, God, you haven't been good to me. God, what you're doing right now is not enough. I need more. Not good enough. My complaints are always against the Lord. And then the last thing was, as far as the complaining, it displeased the Lord. He heard it. It made him angry. If you guys remember, he consumed many of them for it. They were punished for it. They were consumed. Um, So some people complain no more because they died. They couldn't. The complaint ended right there. So for you and me, right, there could be things that you're dissatisfied with that don't please you, that you're not happy with. But we don't want to become people that complain. What's the believer to do? What do you do in a situation where? Man, I'm not really happy with the way this is going right here. What should we do? Pray. Pray, right? We can cry out to God. We can say, dad, Abba, father, Lord, this is what's happening right now. It, it hurts me. It's very difficult for me. We can cry out to God. We can ask God to help us with what we're doing with. But understand this, that complaining bears no positive fruits, right? There's nothing positive. When you complain, God doesn't hear a complaint. Oh, okay. Let me help you with that. It's not, it's not a prayer. It's just a complaint. It's just, void. it just goes out and he doesn't like it. So here's a few verses. Write them down. Keep them for another time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Paul wrote there that let no corrupt word proceed from out of your mouth. He says, but only that which is necessary or that which is useful. Let me go to it so I can read it right. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. So he says, hey, just don't let any corrupt speech come out of it. What is corrupt speech? Some people use that verse to speak about cuss words, which I think, you know, it would qualify. But corrupt speech, the word corrupt there, is actually speaking about what happens to a body that's decaying in the ground. Let no corrupt speech come out. There's things that just bring death. It's just negative, it's just bringing depth. Let no corrupt speech come out of your mouth, but only those things that are necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. So when you complain, know that it doesn't do any of that. It is corrupt speech. And one of the things that we know about complaining is that it's contagious. If you work in a public setting, all you need is one person to complain about some new thing. And everybody, I know, and everybody just runs off with it. That's human nature. Everybody be running off complaining. Your kids, one kid complain, What is that, mom? on the plate. And everybody be complaining. It's contagious. It's part of human nature. Everybody just runs off with it. So we shouldn't do it. No corrupt speech coming out of our mouth. Next thing, write down 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 10, 10. And it says, speaking of uh, another scenario where they complain, I'll read verse 9. It says, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complained as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. So those that complained, they were destroyed by the destroyer. That's one of the names for Satan. That's one of the titles for the enemy in the word. They were destroyed by the destroyer as as they complained. So we don't want to give way to that. And then Philippians chapter 2 verse 14, I think this is probably the clearest reference Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without complaining and disputing. All things. Do everything that you do without complaining, without disputing. God wants us to go along. And this is just for good measure. You write down Isaiah 53.7. And it talks about Jesus because Jesus is our example in everything. And it talks about how that when he was beat and he was wrongly accused and all the things that he endured, how that he took all of that and he didn't say anything, didn't answer back. just just took it quietly and so he's an example for you and I right instead of complaining I mean we know that he prayed we know that Jesus communication even on the cross the communications were with his father in heaven and if you have things that are weighing on you heavy on you burdening you it would be a much more fruitful and effective thing to cry out to God and to pray and tell him than it would to complain blast it out there and share it and again especially since we know that that doesn't please God it's not what he wants for us so Here in the end of verse 5, God says, look, I'm going to deal with this. All this complaining from them is going to be put to rest. It's going to be, I'm going to rid myself of their complaining. And again, when we study scripture, we're always really, we're studying God. I mean, I'm learning about Israel. I'm learning about what happened back then. But I'm also learning about God. And I just read the attitude of that. God said, I'm going to rid myself. I don't want it no more. I can't take it. I don't like it. I'm going to rid myself of these people. I don't want God to feel that way about me. I would not want God to feel like I just need to rid myself up. I can't take I can't hear any more complaining out of your mouth. I just need to rid myself. Everybody here knows people that you may feel that way about who just need to break. I don't want the Lord to be like, I need a break from him. You just stop complaining all the time. I don't want to be that to the Lord. That's what they become to God. This is the crazy thing, right? Because how this thing all start, God loved them. I said, I want to bless you guys. I want to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. Like everything God wanted to do for them was so good and they just wouldn't let them do it. They would not let God bless them. And we can read this about them. But that is this is us. They're us. Right. These things are written for our admonition that everybody here is the same God. He loves us with the same exuberant love, and he wants to bless your life. God wants to do great things in you and with you and through you for his glory. His desire is to bless his children, and as much as they were going to go into a promised land, God wants to bring us into the spirit-filled life, the abundant life, the life that's abundant and abundantly blessed, and it's as we obey and submit and surrender that we get to enter in. Everybody won't enter in. Everybody won't receive all that God would do, but that's what God wanted to do for them. He wanted to bless them, and they wouldn't let him. They wouldn't take him up on his promises. They wouldn't obey the directions and the commands. When God sent them, they wouldn't go. When he said don't, they wanted to go. They just they wouldn't take hold of what God was desiring to do. And I would imagine, you know, I'm not God, but I would imagine that that would be frustrating for parents. You know, you have a desire to just you want the best for your kids, and you're guiding them in the way that's best for them. To, to see them just not take it, it's frustrating.
0: You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Numbers, well, it has a lot of numbers, but there's much more in this book than that. During their long, drawn-out journey, the Israelites' faith in God is tested. In return, these wayward people test God's patience towards them. But God remains faithful and true in looking out for His chosen people. When you think about it, it's no different today. People disobey and test God's patience while they also endure hardships and challenges that they wouldn't have desired. But in all, God remains faithful through and through. If you missed any part of this series in the book of Numbers, you can hear these messages by going to calvaryinglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. If you're ever in the Inglewood area, we'd like to meet you. Our service times are on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryEnglewood.org. Again, that website is CalvaryEnglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Numbers, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You might be surprised by how things in this book might apply to the very things you're working through in your own life. So be sure to join us again to hear and be challenged by a transforming word.